1060 KDUS Tempe Phoenix and KSLX HD2 Scottsdale Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the extra point is good. Welcome in to Extra Point here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along online at KDOS1060.com. And with the KDOS 1060 app, there's still some time left for you to get yourself eligible for some pretty sweet hoops tickets through the KDOS 1060 app. So go ahead and download that KDOS 1060 app and make sure you register. That's a key component there. Register to get yourself eligible for those hoops tickets. The contest still ongoing for a few more weeks here in the month of December. I'm Kayla Mortolaro here with you up until one o'clock today. Bob Kemp feeling a little under the weather. Hopefully we get him back in tomorrow's sports zone. But for now, we will be joined by Mike Tanier of The Messenger around 1115 to talk all things. NFL. Plenty of things to discuss from week 14 Sunday action in addition to uh, some other things that are kind of popping up. The injuries keep popping up and referees find themselves continuing to be a storyline in the NFL. So we'll get Mike Tanier's thoughts here around 1115 or so today. And then as you all know, uh, the sport, the game of golf, really important to me and there's been a lot happening in men's professional golf here over the last year year and a half or so and it's really escalated here over the last couple of weeks uh, with John Rahm's announcement that he is off to live and so what does this mean for live what does this mean for Rom? what does this mean for the PGA Tour there's also been some rules changes as well the governing body of golf the USGA and the RNA coming together to make some changes down the road 2028 I believe is when this is expected to unfold golf ball rollback so there's a lot of things that are impacting professional golf that also impacting amateur golf so we'll catch up with our guy Alex Myers of Golf Digest around 12.15 today to talk all things golf as there is plenty uh, to discuss here. It certainly has not been an off season, if you will. So we'll do that with Alex around 12.15 today. But first, let's set the scene with today's poll questions and we'll get things started with the KDOS1060.com poll question. What has stood out most to you through 14 weeks of the NFL season? Quarterback injuries or the discussion of ref calls at game end? And right now we are currently in a 50-50 split between those two things. Like I said, I think you can make a strong case for both of these as being uh, part of the game that we have seen in the NFL. And we'll certainly touch on all of that uh, throughout today's show and with Mike Tanier here around 1115. Over on uh, Twitter at KDOS AM 1060, are you concerned about the state of men's professional golf? The masses right now are on the yes side of things at 68.8% of the vote, no trailing at 31.3%. And we will officially answer Answer both of those questions today around 1230. So plenty of time for you to cast your vote. 
As we left things with you on Friday, of course, it was Friday spread brought to you by Von Hansen's Meats and Spirits. We were looking for a winner and we were all hoping for the 49ers minus 10 and a half. And they came through as they beat the Seahawks 28 to 16. So we are now sitting at 11 and four on the season with our weekend plays. And we are winners now of four in a row. So that is some pretty nice uh, things that we have upcoming for charity at season's end. We'll once again have Friday spread for you on Friday of this week. So when you look, though, at this Seahawks 49ers game, I thought we could touch on it just a little bit before we make room for Mike Tanier here. Geno Smith, he didn't start for the Seahawks dealing with a groin injury. So insert Drew Locke, his numbers in the game, 22 of 31, 269 yards, two touchdowns, two picks and four sacks. There were some moments where he looked pretty good, some moments where he looked a little shaky. Uh, But I guess a 49ers defense can certainly do that to anyone uh, who is on the opposing quarterback side of things. But as it is for the 49ers, big time game for them with a ton of implications that ended up unfolding later on in the evening on Sunday with the Cowboys and Eagles result. But the 49ers are now sitting at 10 and three. And as things currently stand, they are the one seed in the NFC. Brock Purdy on the day, 19 of 27, 368 yards, two touchdowns and one interception. So there has apparently been this conversation and this narrative going around about Brock Purdy and not getting the ball down the field. I didn't realize this was such a big deal or that it was really gaining the traction that it was until you kind of saw things unfold in the game and then you saw things uh, being discussed post-game because he's so accurate. He's so good at getting the ball to his playmakers. He plays within he plays within the system. And not only that, as I mentioned, the accuracy, it's on point. Guys are being able to catch the ball and run. Uh, so, you know, the offense moves with Brock Pur- Purdy. He's doing what he's being asked to do, and he's doing it very well. So I didn't know that all of a sudden this, uh, the ball doesn't travel 30-plus yards in the air, this is a problem, became a narrative all of a sudden. Well, he had some success doing that against the Seahawks last uh, yesterday in yesterday's game. So far in his career, uh, he has seven completions on 13. I'm sorry. So far this season, seven completions on 13 attempts this season on balls traveling 30 or more yards. He has three touchdowns and no interceptions. So that should probably correct that narrative. That should probably quiet that narrative that uh, he's not good at it or doesn't do it or or whatever the case is. He's having success playing quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers. Numbers, though, that would certainly make Bob happy to support uh, his Jimmy Garoppolo thoughts if he were here. He would be uh, excited about all of this. This is coming from Nick Wagner of ESPN, who covers the 49ers. From 2017 to 2022, Jimmy Garoppolo, he was just 6 of 40 on 30 or more yard passes with two touchdowns and six interceptions. So I think we can see now that some similar, uh, if not the same players for the 49ers and the offense and how really efficient it operates, how efficient it moves when everybody is healthy. I think that's the other key portion of this thing with the 49ers, who I think we can make an argument. Maybe it's between them 
and the Dallas Cowboys as being the best team in the NFL right now. The offense is just really moving. Trent Williams at left tackle there, Debo Samuel back in the lineup, and things for the 49ers have a ton of efficiency. When it comes to the 49ers and their success, though, over the Seahawks so far, the 49ers have swept the Seahawks in back-to-back seasons now. For the first time in franchise history, they have also won five in a row against them, which is the longest streak against the Seahawks for the 49ers. You also had the situation that unfolded in the game, though, between DK Metcalf, Fred Warner, and Lenore, all getting into it with Metcalf and Lenore being ejected. Rivalry blood boiling up there. Also just kind of some some silliness here. We've seen a little bit of that from DK Metcalf at times. The 49ers, though, involved in a couple of different scuffles here over the last couple of games. However, it looks like the NFL suspending uh, their head of security for the Eagles for his involvement in the scuffle from one week ago. If we look, though, at the change in the NFC standings for the playoffs following the 49ers win and the Cowboys' 33-13 win over the Eagles, how things stand in the NFC. We have the 49ers as the one seed sitting at 10-3. The Cowboys as the two seed now and leading the NFC East at 10 and three. There's still plenty of opportunities for the Eagles to win the division. Also, if you look at now the trajectory of the Cowboys remaining schedule versus the Eagles remaining schedule favorability going in the direction of the Eagles. The three seed in the NFC is the Lions at nine and four. They're coming off a real disappointing loss, though, to the Bears. The Bucks now have slid in as the leaders in the clubhouse of the a uh, the NFC South. The Bucks sitting at six and seven, following their twenty nine to twenty five win yesterday over the Falcons. Then you have the Eagles at ten and three in the five seed, and then following a riveting contest. The Vikings as the sixth seed with their 3-0 victory over the Raiders. They're sitting at 7-6 on the season. And the Packers, 6-6, they're the seventh seed. But they play the Giants tonight as part of two Monday Night Football contests. Then on the outside looking in, you have the Rams at 6-7, a close loss for them in overtime. The Seahawks, 6-7. The Falcons, 6-7. And and the Saints, 6-7. We'll just update the AFC standings here. The Ravens. After their overtime victory, they're still the one seed at uh, 10 and 3. The Dolphins are the two seed at 9 and 3. They play host to the Titans tonight. The Chiefs, their loss to the Bills yesterday drops them to 8 and 5, but they remain as the three seed in the AFC. The Jaguars at 8 and 5, the four seed. Then the Browns picking up a win with a. Uh, Joe Flacco at quarterback, 8-5 and five is the 5 seed. The Steelers reinserted into that 6 seed at 7-6, and six, and the Colts in that final spot at 7-6. and six. Now the Texans falling out at 7-6 and six after a really disappointing loss to the Jets yesterday. The Broncos nipping at their heels at 7-6, and six. the Bengals at 7-6, and six, and then the Bills keeping their playoff hopes alive at 7-6 and six with the current 11 seed in the AFC. We will take a break here and when we come back, we'll be joined by Mike Tanier to go through the NFL. Some of the games from week 14, the implications that took place, some of the injuries that are piling up storylines involving the referees. We'll dive into all of that with Mike Tanier from the messenger on the other side of the break. 
Once again, Bob Kemp feeling a little under the weather today. Kayla Morsolaro here with you up until 1 o'clock today, as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. As always, follow along with us online at kdos1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app. Mike Tanier, up next. Interact with Bob Kim's poll question on KDUS1060.com. That's KDUS1060.com. And while you're there, check out Bob Kent's bottom line at KDUS1060.com. Welcome back to Extra Point here on KDUS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDUS1060.com. And with the KDUS 1060 app, we're popping on out to the KDUS hotline. Mike Tanier of The Messenger set to chat some NFL. Mike, it's Kayla. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm just sitting here complaining about offsides calls like a, like a champion. Well, you know what? That's... What we all do, and that's where we should start, you know? Uh, our conversation here with that Chiefs and the Bills game, the Bills end up winning 20-17 to 17 here. They keep their playoff chances alive. Meanwhile, the Chiefs find themselves completely irate, um, taking a candidate for play of the year off the board because of Kadarius Tony lining up offsides, as you alluded to there. So do the Chiefs and Andy Reid have any legitimate complaint here with the referees not helping Tony get back on sides. No, not at all. I, I think I think what Andy Reid is referring to, there are some formation uh, penalties uh, in terms of, like, who's lined up on the line and who isn't, where it's not that unusual for a, uh, a wide receiver to turn to the referee and say, am I good? Like, you'll see that from time to time. Like, there's supposed to be a yard off the line of scrimmage or on the line of scrimmage, and there might be a few inches here or there. They'll turn to the side judge and, 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 and nod to them to say, is this formation legal? So that does happen. That does not apply to being one yard off sides. Kadarius Tony was one yard offside. He was, he was not trying to make sure he was an eligible receiver or anything else. He just did it wrong, and it was significantly and glaringly wrong. You don't get, like, a heads up from the officials for that. So Andy Reid is kind of blowing smoke a little bit and maybe blowing off some steam. The only thing the officials could have done to save us, you know, a little bit of grief and a little bit of this feeling of what would have been, they could have blown that play dead right at the, at the snap, blown it completely dead and said, you got a guy off sides and spared us from seeing that beautiful, beautiful play that was like having a, a Christmas present given to you and taken away from you. They could have spared us that. But there's no way they could let that play stand. That was a flagrant, flagrant offside foul. It absolutely was. Uh, to the larger issue issue here with the Chiefs, their offensive struggles and frustrations. We know all about the wide receiver drops. We we know how good Patrick Mahomes is and how he can really help elevate any receiving core. But this offense just really continues to have its struggles. We know about the offensive mind from Andy Reid here. But as we keep waiting for this offense to turn around, is this who and what this offense is? And is some of the poor offseason roster moves and draft selections to blame for what we're seeing from Kansas City here on the offensive side of the ball. 
yeah, this is who they are. And I don't want to like be too harsh in terms of the off season moves and things. There's only so much you can do in an off season when you're up against the salary cap, when you're, you're trying to pay Chris Jones and Travis Kelsey and Mahomes and some of these other guys, you're going to go out there and Rasheed Rice is the receiver you're going to get. And he's, He's going to be good sometimes. He's going to fumble sometimes. And you're, you're going to have to let a guy like Juju Smith-Schuster go, and you're going to have to hope that somebody like Justin Watson sets up, and sometimes they don't. But what you see for the Chiefs is that anything downfield that doesn't go to Kelsey has to be manufactured, schemed up. It has to be all the creativity in the world has to be put into place to get Kadarius Tony open, to get you know, Valdez Scanling uh, enough space that he can operate, uh, you know, even Rasheed Rice to get them the ball. There's no – there's no – forget, like, even a Tyree Hill. There's no Juju Smith-Schuster. I can go out there and win. There's nobody like that. And, you know, uh, Mahomes and Kelsey and Reed, they can do a lot of creative stuff to get these guys open. But when you have to do that all the time, it puts a limit, puts an upper threshold of what you can accomplish against some of the better teams in the NFL. Chatting here with Mike Tanier from The Messenger on KDOS AM 1060 in the Extra Point. Flipping this side of the conversation over to the Bills side of things. Uh, the win, it was absolutely much needed to keep them, uh, their playoff hopes alive sitting at 7-6. and six. They're still on the outside looking in, though. But have we seen anything fundamentally different with Joe Brady now as the offensive coordinator? And uh, a two-part question for you. How would you characterize Josh Allen's season to date so far? Uh, you know, with the, with the Joe Brady thing, after every win, now there's been two wins. Like everybody runs the internet and says, "Hey, they they use pre-snap motion 22 times in this game." And you know, before Joe Brady, they only used it 21 times. So we come up with these sort of like ad hoc explanations for what's different. Uh, maybe there's some difference in the play calling. Maybe there's a little bit more, a little bit less YOLO ball throwing balls down the field by Josh Allen. But you're coming off a game where they scored 20 points. This was this was not an offensive explosion, um, and, and you know they, they scored more points against the Eagles, but a lot of that was Allen running. And I think Allen's had a, had a fine season. This has not been an MVP season. It has not been an All Pro season. You still get some of the lapses in terms of interceptions. You still get the fact that he has wide receiver issues like Mahomes. There, there isn't that much beyond Stephon Diggs for him to throw to. But when you watch Allen, you see that the the guy he is is still there. You see the running plays. You see the darts that he throws. He's still there. He may not be up in that upper echelon, but he's still somebody that you got to watch out for. And he can still get them into the playoff chase. That said, they got the Cowboys next week. So it's going to get harder before it gets easier for the Buffalo Bills. The Ravens, they pick up a 37-31 win in overtime. No Mark Andrews now right now for Lamar Jackson. Instead, he spread the ball around four to OBJ, five to Isaiah Likely, six to Zay Flowers, five to Nelson Aguilar. Now, this is kind of another question for you, offensive coordinator changes. Have you seen a difference with this offense through 14 weeks with Todd Munkin's uh, you know, involvement now as offensive coordinator and Lamar Jackson finishing games off? Do we have trust in that? Yeah, you have seen a big difference. And it's, it's kind of a nuts and bolts difference. But you, what you just described kind of explains it a little bit. There's a confidence to get the ball to the wide receivers. And it's a confidence to get the ball to wide receivers sometimes over the middle, sometimes in tight windows, uh, not just, you know, a bomb or like a sideline quick screen, which was too often the case with Greg Roman. You know, the receivers only had one or two things to do. Anything over the middle of the field was Mark Andrews. You get something different now. And I'm really impressed with Lamar Jackson this year. You still see the amazing scrambles. You still see, against the Rams in particular, he had, he had to do his uh, 
pirouetting and ballet and everything like that to get away from Aaron Donald several times, and he was able to do those things and pick up yards on his own and extend plays. You also see him in the pocket, even without Mark Andrews, even with these other guys, directing the offense, spreading the ball around, throwing a lot of different kinds of passes, handing off, operating under center once in a while. It's a very, it's a very uh, different thing than we saw a couple of, for the last couple of years where it was Lamar Jackson running some sort of customized uh, read option service academy type thing and his talent doing everything. I love the Ravens right now. I think they're the best team in the AFC. They have a lot of ways to beat you. Their defense ran hot and cold yesterday, but it's really good. You know their special teams can win, and they showed that again yesterday. This is a solid top-to-bottom team. For the Rams, they open up the game with their opening drive with nine straight running plays. We actually saw Sean McVay do this when they opened up the second half against the Arizona Cardinals in uh, their first meeting with the Cardinals. So how should we, though, look at this Rams team here with games against the Commanders, Saints, Giants, and 49ers remaining on the schedule? By the way, that was a phenomenal game plan by Sean McVay. He did. He pounded the ball early, and then all of a sudden, Cooper Cup and Puka Nakua are open. You've got the, you know, you got the defense mystified, confused a little bit. I don't have the playoff odds for everybody in front of me right now. I'm afraid, but you're looking at a six and seven team, like you said, with a rather easy schedule coming up. And you know, if I needed to, if I was forced to handicap things right now, I would say that one team in the NFC East is going to be a wild card. And then you've got this mess of teams. The Rams are ahead of Seattle, in my opinion. Even though the Vikings are 7-6 and six, coming off of a really weird 3 nothing game yesterday, I would put the Rams ahead of them because they're healthy and have an easy schedule. And, and there's also the Green Bay Packers in the mix. I have a feeling the Rams are going to be a playoff team, probably a one-and-done playoff team, but still pretty good accomplishment for a team that looked like it was ready to go into rebuilding mode at the start of the season. Mike Tanier with The Messenger right here on KDOS AM 1060 in the Extra Point. Okay, the Sunday night football contest from yesterday. The Cowboys took it to the Eagles 33-13. to uh, This is something that we've been seeing from the Cowboys for several weeks in a row here now, especially how they are playing at home. The schedule for them does toughen up a bit here, going on the road to the Bills, the Dolphins, then home against the Lions, and they finish up the season on the road against the Commanders. But is it time that we trust Dak Prescott and Mike McCarthy have they given us enough performances now to say execution is there, play calling is there, in-game decisions are there? Yes, yes, and yes. Dak Prescott looks like he's he's taken a step forward from last year. I would say McCarthy took that step forward with him where there's a little more confidence. There's a little bit less like critical mistake at critical, t- critical time. We have not seen that Dak really this year. We haven't seen him maybe since the 49ers game. You talk about the schedule getting tougher. This is the tough part of the schedule. The Seahawks were supposed to be a tough opponent. The Eagles come in as a tough opponent. Um, and then you get the Bills and Dolphins. So they're taking care of business in this tough schedule. There is only one real problem for the Dallas Cowboys right now, and that problem is the rest of the NFL's problem at all as well, the San Francisco 49ers. You can stack everything up for, for the Cowboys that you want, stack everything up for most of these other teams. You say, are they as good pound for pound as the San Francisco 49ers? And right now, the answer to that is no. As for the Eagles, the defense giving up 34 to the Bills, 49 to the 49ers, 33 to the Cowboys in their last three. How much of this is just some exhaustion from the defense having such a brutal stretch that they've just faced? How much of it is some cause for concern in the secondary for this Eagles unit? It's mostly cause for the concern in the secondary. You have particularly in the middle of the secondary. Eagles are short at linebacker. They're shorthanded at safety. 
they really they've been revolving door nickel cornerbacks, nickel and slot guys. They've had everybody in there. Guys have been hurt. Guys have been so ineffective they had to get benched. It's just whoever they think they can match up at slot corner. And you know the the Forty Niners are going to take advantage of that because they've got all these guys working in the middle of the field. The Cowboys are going to get the ball to Jake Ferguson and they're going to line CD Lamb up in the slot and say who's covering him. So the Eagles don't have a solution for this on their roster. There's no way the Eagles can say, oh, we're going to pull Richard Sherman out of retirement, and that's going to solve this problem. That's not happening. Only good thing is happening for the Eagles right now. Seahawks are pretty beatable next Monday night. Then Giants, Cardinals, Giants, get some wins, get some confidence, and find some ways to to win with defense, even if you're getting exposed a little bit in the middle of the field. Get that pass rush at full throttle. Make sure Slay and Bradbury in the corners are not making mistakes and getting penalties, and just hope that some completions in the middle are not enough to beat you come the playoffs. Okay, help me with the Eagles' offensive side of the ball. I mean, the numbers, not as good as last year for Jalen Hurts. I think there has been some obvious knee injury situations that Hurts has been dealing with this season. Mm -hmm. Uh, But for me, I don't know that I put all of it on him. I actually put more of it on play calling, that there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of continuity with, you know, setting up one play to make something else successful later on. I'm curious what you think of the Eagles' offense. Well, I mean, one of the things last night also was fumbles. And the fumbles happened at the end of big plays. The Eagles would get a 15, 20-yard run, and Hurts would fumble, and somebody else would fumble along the way. Uh, you know, Brown fumbled. All the most reliable guys are, are coughing the ball up. That, the Cowboys were going to win without those fumbles, but it might have been, you know, 33 to 24 or something like that. The play calling has been odd, especially early in games. If you remember the 2022 Eagles, it was run, run, run the ball down your throat, run the zone read, then you would play the deep pass off of that. Now it's more like deep pass, deep pass, deep pass. Oh, my goodness, uh, that didn't work too much. Let's try to throw some runs and some Jalen Hurts design keepers into the mix there. I don't know if that's the change in play calling or losing Shane Steichen to the Colts. I don't know if part of it is the Eagles' offense is structured for Hurts to make some of these decisions. Hurts at the line of scrimmage can look and say, oh, they're creeping up to stop the run. I'm going to throw the bomb. He has a lot of audible and adjustment uh, capability there. Whatever it is, it's been several weeks. Eagles need to tweak it. And it looks like they would be a better team if they just said, hey, you know what? We still have all pros and Hall of Famers on our offensive line here. Why don't we just try hammering the ball, especially against some of these weaker opponents, do what we did best last year and see if that gets us back. To where we need to be. Mike Tanier with the messenger right here on KDOS AM 1060 in the extra point. Okay, so the Lions here, they lost to the Bears 28 to 13. Uh, they almost lost to them a few weeks ago, needing heroic comeback. They were unable to come back on Thanksgiving against the Packers. They let the Saints come back on them, but they held on to get the win. Are the injuries now really just starting to pile up and catching up to this Lions team? Or is it more Jared Goff putting the ball in harm's way too often? A little bit of both. So you have injuries to their secondary, which has hurt. Uh, they don't have a lot of experience and a lot of depth on their front seven as well. So that's a problem. You know, Aiden Hutchinson is a really good ball player. Try to name a couple others. You might come up short in a little bit. And so, so their defense winds up on the field a little too much, gives up too many big plays. Goff has been hurting them with interceptions, with fumbles. There's been fumbles elsewhere on that team as well. And their offense is built to run the ball and have a ball control passing game, they're not built to play catch-up. You know, their, their deep threat is Jamison Williams. He's still, we're still waiting to see this individual have their breakout C 
season. Their, their top receiver is a slot over the middle guy, and I'm on Ross St. Brown. So, you know, Lions are going to be a playoff team. They're going to make it in there. But they just keep showing you right now it's not fully cooked yet. Some guys have to get experience. They still might have to add some pieces, particularly on defense. And when they make the playoffs, they're going to be the number four team, and it's going to show that they're the number four team in the NFC. All right, curious for your perception on all of this. Obviously, the Cardinals were off on a bye here, and they're in a, a precarious situation. You have a new coaching staff. You have an evaluation process ongoing with quarterback Kyler Murray. They're sitting at 3-10 and 10 on the season, 2-2 two and two with Kyler back as QB1. Um, with the depth of this Cardinals team needing really plenty of positions to be filled, so through the draft, through free agency upcoming here, is it reasonable to think that the Cardinals move forward with Kyler Murray as QB1? Can the Cardinals win with Murray uh, if position upgrades are around him? I believe they can. I believe they should. There are about 20 teams in the NFL who would love to have Kyler Murray under contract for the next couple of years right now to replace their situations, whether they just have no quarterback or in the, they're in this you know, Deshaun Watson territory or they're a team like the Vikings where it's like, oh, we have to start over. We're not going with our cousins. All of these teams would love to say, oh, Kyler Murray, he's back. He looks healthy. He's playing in the shape. And we've got two first-round picks to, get, to start building around him. I think that's the no-brainer decision, and I would, I would be stunned at this point if the Cardinals said, hey, you know what, let's, let's just keep rebuilding here and let's see if we can get something for him. That's the forever rebuilding path. That's the way to just say we're pretty much like some weird expansion team, and that's a way to get a coach and a GM who just got hired to get themselves on the hot seat in a year or two. So I like what they've been doing with Kyle and Mary. I more or less, he, he looks like he's doing what he can with what's around him, and I think the Cardinals really should commit to building around him. One more on the Cardinals here for you. Uh, you know, have you been able to get a read on the Cardinals coaching staff with just kind of the talent in general uh, on this team, their three and 10 record? We've been trying to decipher different ways to figure out that, yes, this coaching staff is on the right path. Yes, this coaching staff is, you know, what we want around for a while. So has anything significant stuck out to you or has all been pretty expected in their first year? I've been mostly encouraged. I was discouraged in the preseason. You know, we all we, we all saw the the video of Jonathan uh, uh, Gannon trying to give the motivational speech, and it didn't come off particularly well. But at the start of the season, the Cardinals played surprisingly well. Recently, they, with Murray back, they've gone two and two. The part in the middle of the uh, season when they were playing really poorly, you know, opponents had figured out Joshua Dobbs. Clayton Toon goes out there for a week. There are some just sort of hopeless situations. I, I, don't, I don't have a good read on it, but there's none of these red flags, yellow flags right now where I look at this coaching staff and say, oh, this team is quitting on them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't have a lot of talent. The team shows up every week. They keep things close. They cover some spreads. That's about all. That's about all I've got for you right now on the, on, on Gannon and his staff. Mike Tanier with the messenger here on KDUS AM 1060 in the extra point. Last question for you here today, Mike. Uh, what's been the big storyline for you in the NFL through 14 weeks of the NFL season? Is it quarterback injuries, injuries in general, or is it talking about referees on Monday morning? I hate talking about referees on Monday morning. That might be everyone else's story. It is not mine, even though I led with it this uh, this morning this <laughs> afternoon. It's the quarterback injuries. I was, I was adding it up, and I'm not sure I'm 100% correct, 100% correct, but 
Next week, full slate of games, only six games in week 15 where opening day starting quarterback is facing opening day starting quarterback. Only six games. That's how many backup quarterbacks we're talking about. Oh, and by the way, of those six games, one of them is Desmond Ritter versus Bryce Young. It's, it's a Falcons-Panthers game you don't even want to watch. So the, the, the degree to which teams have had to rely on these backups and the different ways they've coped with it, the way the, the Browns have been juggling different quarterbacks and their defense has been winning games, the fact that the, the Steelers, it doesn't matter who their quarterback is, things never seem to work out for their offense. All the drama in the New York Jets after Aaron Rodgers went down. That's been the story. Who do you have at quarterback, and how are you making the absolute most of it? Mike, as always, appreciate the time. Love chatting football with you, and we'll do it again soon. You got it. Take care and enjoy your week. Thank you. You as well. Once again, he is Mike Tanier with The Messenger. Uh, And as you know, that's kind of Pertaining to one of our poll questions here today, the KDOS1060.com poll question about what has stood out most to you through 14 weeks of the NFL season with quarterback injuries or discussing referees on Monday morning. We'll officially provide the answer to that around 1230 and still plenty of time for you to cast your vote. KDOS1060.com. Thanks to Mike, though, for his time and going through a plethora of different NFL topics on the other side. We'll stick with the NFL. There's two Monday night football games taking place tonight. We'll dive a little bit into that, some injury updates and some other miscellaneous NFL things here in the extra point. As you've probably noticed by now, Kayla Mortolaro here with you riding solo. Bob Kemp feeling a little under the weather today, hoping to get him back tomorrow. But we're here with you up until one o'clock on this Monday, December 11th. Check out KDUS AM 1060 on 100.7 KSLX HD2. That's right, HD Radio on 100.7 channel number two. Eleven forty-four here on KDOS AM ten sixty. It is the extra point. Kayla Mortolaro here with you up until one o'clock today. Bob feeling a little under the weather. Hopefully he'll be back in the sports zone with you tomorrow. Thanks to Mike Tanier with the Messenger for taking time talking about the NFL Week fourteen and a plethora of other topics. If you missed the conversation, you can podcast it over at KDOS ten sixty dot com or with the KDOS ten sixty app. More games tonight to conclude week 14 in the NFL. We have two Monday night football games for you. It's the Titans and the Dolphins. Titans plus 13 and a half. Dolphins minus 13 and a half. Over under sitting at 46 and a half. For the Titans, Jeffrey Simmons is officially out. For the Dolphins, Teron Armstead is questionable on the O-line. The Titans, man, they have been bad on the road this season, uh, still in search of their first win on the road as well. And the valuation process continues for Will Levis. That is ongoing because obviously the team is going to be moving forward in some way, shape, or form. Uh, Ryan Tannehill, this is his last year under contract. There's very little chance he is returning to the Titans as the starting quarterback. They drafted Malik Willis. That doesn't seem like that has worked out. Uh, So it's all here on are they going to see enough from Will Levis to think that he's going to be the guy in Tennessee for the foreseeable future? 
As it is for the Dolphins here, another huge spread for them. They're sitting at 9-3. and three. They currently have the two seed in the AFC, and we're still wondering, you know, who is this Dolphins team? We've seen at times the explosiveness that they have on offense. We are kind of waiting for different things to pop on the defensive side of the ball. And there's nothing that they can do about their schedule. They play who is on the schedule here. But when you look at teams that have brought a certain level of physicality to the game, there has been a little bit of a setback in the Dolphins, even on offense and obviously giving up some points on the defensive side of the ball here. Their remaining schedule, the Titans, the Jets, then they do have the Cowboys, Ravens, and Bills. So that last little bit there in December and January could be pretty telling for this Dolphins team and could have some implications as well in terms of playoff seeding. Um, so it could get a little bit more difficult here for the Dolphins as things unfold. Another thing I want to monitor here is Tua. You know, he's obviously done a fantastic job this year of protecting himself. That has been an area of concern with some injuries for him and the types of injuries that he's been suffering. So he's been doing a great job this year of protecting himself in different situations. He had a bit of an iffy... November, Uh, you know, statistically, if you can get the ball in your playmakers hands, they can do amazing things. I mean, we go through it often enough with the NFL next gen stats and we look at the fastest plays in the NFL and you have Dolphins players all over the place leading the top 10, whether it's Tyreek Hill, Devon Achan, Raheem Mostert. So speed is all over the place. You get the ball in their hands and let them go. It's about keeping the ball out of harm's way, making the right decisions, and uh, you know keeping the offense moving. We kind of saw things stall out a bit against the Eagles. We've seen things stall out against, uh, against the, the Bills. So... How is Tua going to take that next step forward here as the calendar has shifted to December? The other Monday Night Football contest is the Packers and the Giants. Packers minus six, Giants plus six, over under sitting at 37. For the Packers, Jair Alexander is out. Aaron Jones is questionable. Christian Watson is out. So... That is a key playmaker for Jordan Love out and maybe a running back there who's uh, very talented in Aaron Jones as questionable right now. The question for me for this Packers team is Jordan Love. Has he figured things out here? This is now several games in a row where he has looked very good. He has looked like a quarterback number one for a franchise. So did the light bulb just kind of go on for him has things really evolved in a way that you know Matt LaFleur is calling some great plays getting him into comfortable looks uh does it help playing from the lead versus playing from behind you know different things like that have maybe helped uh Jordan Love here in his growth process as this is his first year as a starter in the NFL I was a little skeptical of him, you know, some of these numbers that he was putting up against like the Chargers defense. And I was like, well, it is the Chargers defense. So let's see it again. Then he goes and does it on Thanksgiving against the Lions. And I said, "Okay, we're seeing a little bit of susceptibility here from the Lions. Uh, Let's see it happen again. And and it's been happening now. He did it against a Chiefs defense, uh, you know, on Sunday night. So curious to see now how he's going to do here um, on the road against the Giants 
on uh, Monday Night Football. But the question here is, as well, for Monday Night Football, why are we getting two Monday Night Football games that are being played at the same time? Both of these games are 6-15 starts on ESPN and ABC. Um, This has actually happened a couple of times earlier in the season, but they were staggered starts instead. One was a 5-15 start, 6-15 start, etc. Burke Magnus, who is a part of programming for ESPN, was on uh, Richard Deitch's podcast on The Athletic, and he's talking about how they're really working on trying to determine what optimizes uh, best for the NFL, as, as well as these Monday Night Football contests, to have more data Moving forward, whether it makes sense to have things in centralized locations be a part of certain times, etc. So it's a lot of things that we don't really care a whole lot about as to why it is taking place at the exact same time. But you can watch both games, ESPN, ABC. Apparently, we're expecting live cut-ins at certain times. And then also they will be continuing the Manning cast, which will be on ESPN too. So there's plenty of different options to consume week 14 Monday night football. On the other side of the break, there's a Heisman Trophy winner. LSU's quarterback Jaden Daniels captures the 2023 Heisman Trophy. We'll discuss a little bit about that. Uh, And of course, he was a former Sun Devil quarterback so how should sun devil fans be feeling about all of this here on a monday it is the extra point kdos am 1060 online at kdos 1060.com and with the kdos 1060 app KDUS AM 1060 into your home with Alexa. Hi, I'm Alexa. Download the KDUS AM 1060 skill and enable. Then say, Alexa, open the KDUS AM 1060. This is where I start my day. Wrapping up our number one of Extra Point on this Monday, December 11th. Bob Cam feeling a little under the weather. Kayla Mortolaro here with you up until one o'clock today. Uh, there is a bit of an update. Andy Reid is meeting the media here, the Kansas City media. And he did say that Kadarius Tony, in fact, did not check with the down judge, my car, to ensure that he was lined up correctly, uh, that he wasn't trying to make any excuses with his postgame remarks last night, that he was just simply pointing out that usually they get a warning. Uh, so that is the latest in regards to the ref situation involving the Kansas City Chiefs. On Saturday, though, a new Heisman Trophy winner was crowned. Jaden Daniels, the winner, he received 503 first-place votes. Michael Penix Jr. finished second with 292 first-place votes. And Bo Nix finished third with 51 first-place votes. Uh, When we're looking at... The race, I guess, if you will, for what position is winning more Heisman trophies. We now have 40 quarterbacks having won the Heisman trophy. That's too shy of running backs, which is the position with the most Heisman wins. However, it's been a little while since quarterbacks haven't been winning the Heisman. You have to go back to 2020 for a non-quarterback winner. That was Devonta Smith, wide receiver from Alabama, to go back and find a running back who 
won the Heisman. You go back to 2015 with Derrick Henry running back from Alabama. And then for good measure, if we want to throw in here the last time, a defensive player won the Heisman. Yeah, that's right. 1997 with Charles Woodson from Michigan. But the fact that Jaden Daniels, LSU's quarterback, has won the Heisman, how should ASU fans feel about all of this? Because Jaden Daniels got his career started here, of course, in Tempe. If you just want to look at his time at ASU in 2019, 60.7% completion percentage, 2,943 yards, 17 touchdowns, two picks, 125 carries, 355 yards, three touchdowns. I'm throwing out 2020, going with his 2021 stats. 65.4% completion percentage, 2,380 yards, 10 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, 138 carries, 710 yards, and six touchdowns. And there was a noticeable difference in the development there of Jaden Daniels. Then you look at immediately what he does at LSU in 2022, and you think to yourself, wow. He's found an offensive system that works for him there in LSU, and then he took it to a whole new level in 2023. 72.2% completion percentage, 40 touchdowns, 4 interceptions, over 1,000 yards rushing, and 10 touchdowns on the ground. They did finish 9-3, though, those LSU Tigers. Hour number two of the Extra Point is coming up next. (laughs) 